Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. There's a Marshall Bond that you don't really see in a lot of other things, even sports, I've noticed. I've got students that, you know, have all grown up 20, 30 years later, and they've all gone to each other's weddings, and they're all like godparents of each other's kids. I mean, it's just a very special bond. So growing up in that environment, um, I think was extra special because not only did I have my, you know, genetic biological family, but I had a Marshall family. I think doing something that makes somebody feel good and will help with their confidence. So for example, I always encourage kids to do martial arts because it makes them more confident. And in that confidence, just standing with the right posture makes you feel different, look different, and people will respond to you differently. So I think it's all kind of interconnected, our body language and our thoughts and everything. Just every day we go to the temple, my father's like suddenly on the roof, bamboo tree, or in the tree, cutting the tree. Like, you know, so he's like, you should blog about his stuff. I like when someone, even as a young kid, can see that they can be so much more than what maybe life has projected onto them. So I don't know who told him he was like a skinny, you know, kid or couldn't do anything, but obviously someone did, or he watches what society paints as the photo or image of strong, and he doesn't think he looks like that. But then he gets another image in his head from doing Kung Fu, being empowered, seeing Grandmaster Chan and being inspired and seeing who he thinks is like him, you know? And so as a teacher, those are the types of things that I find really rewarding. Hi, how are you? This is Fei Wu and I am the host for the Phase World Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and choosing to spend this time with us. I'm excited to announce a new guest on Phase World today, and her name is Mimi Chen. Mimi moved with her family from Boston, Massachusetts to Orlando, Florida in 1980, where her training in martial arts began under her father, Pui Chen. Upon the family's move to Orlando, her father built the Walong Tempo, the first traditional Chinese martial arts temple built in the United States. By the age of five, Mimi was already performing in local exhibitions. She specializes in Kung Fu, open hand, and weaponry. Have you heard of the Disney movie named Mulan? It's a Chinese folktale about a teenage girl who disguises herself as a boy to fight the invading Huns. Turns out, Mulan's facial features and figure was modeled after Mimi. I still remember vividly when I first watched Mulan and it remained to be one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Mimi has won grand champion titles and gold medals in multiple international martial arts tournaments in which she was undefeated. She was also featured in articles in Kung Fu Magazine and entered the martial arts hall of fame deemed Woman of the Year by Inside Kung Fu in 1999. In 2011, Mimi directed and produced a documentary about her father's life, Pui Chen, named Kung Fu Pioneer. The film premiered in 2012 at the Central Florida Film Festival and won both Best Documentary and Audience Choice Awards. In this episode, Mimi and I chatted about her upbringing as a daughter of the pioneer who brought Chinese martial arts to the United States. And today, Mimi teaches at Wanlong Temple regularly, and she brings her students to visit China every year. There seems to be endless projects for Mimi to work on, including her own podcast launched earlier this year called Culture Chat, a podcast that covers a variety of cultures, subcultures, social issues, film, comics, martial arts, traditions, food, or anything inspiring and thought-provoking. 
Hope you enjoyed this conversation and please give us your honest review on iTunes. A star review only takes seconds where a text review to elaborate on your feedback will be great too. I read all of them. Face World Podcast is free and ad-free and takes my team and me more than 100 hours a month to research, record, and produce and hundreds of dollars to sustain. So thank you for your support. Without further ado, please welcome Mimi Chen to the Face World Podcast. Mimi, welcome to Face World. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I've really looked forward to this. And thanks again to Chris Yen for introducing you. You know, I, I feel really blessed to have, you know, these women in particular, you know, Asian women who are so entrepreneurial, so brave in doing what they do and to be willing to share their stories. It's really nice to see the intersection and how that connects us, you know, to have this type of conversations. Right. Absolutely. Yes. No, thanks again for having me here. And yeah, Christiane is amazing. She's a great resource, a great friend. And you know, this is great. Yeah. So how did you guys meet, by the way? <laughs> well, actually, we're kind of like childhood friends. So really, we met through my parents. So my father and her mother are very, very, very close friends. So he brought Bose and Mark, Christian's mom, over on uh, one of the first, the first actual Hong Kong Grand Masters tour. So he brought over all these famous martial artists. Shek Kin was one of them, uh, Chan Wan Cheng, Bose and Mark. So he brought over 10 or 12 uh, martial artists. And I think it was in 1970, I want to say 1975, I could be off. <laughs> but it was in 1975, he was starting to bring over artists from Hong Kong to share the culture, the Chinese culture with uh, America. And she was on that tour. And eventually she got settled into Boston and he actually helped set her up to start teaching in her first school. And he kind of mentored her a little bit, but also just as a, as a good Kung Fu family member, he wanted to help get her started. So as kids, you know, we kind of knew each other, but as adults, we've reconnected over the years. So. Wow. It's truly something, you know, in the martial art world, I notice sometimes the even just the level of competitions and sometimes the natural conflicts that arise. But your father not only did not avoid that, but introduced many other talents from you know, Hong Kong, from China to uh, you know the same city. I know that you guys actually lived in Boston for a while. So why do you think he was so keen on introducing other talents to the U.S.? Yeah, his philosophy is not the Kung Fu family is just that. It's a family. So even though we have our Wallam family and we, you know, support each other, he also truly believes in helping others, regardless of style. You know, he helped Grandmaster Lee Kong Hong, who's a Charlie Foot. He brought his family over from Hong Kong. He just truly believes, I think he's a bit of a philanthropist that way, but I think he doesn't really fear that type of competition, even though he's like, oh, you're coming right into my city. He doesn't fear that because he really believes that if you do good for other people, good will come back to you. And, and if he believes in someone, he also believes in getting them out there and helping them be the best they can be. So I don't think he sees it as a threat or competition. He sees, you know, people as family. And if he decides to help them, he does it wholeheartedly. And so that's just the way he's always been very good natured and very giving and very open. So, you know, when I was raised in the martial arts, it, it was very different. You know, and I, as I've gotten older, I have seen a lot of what you are discussing in terms of competition and jealousy and or organizations that have fighting. And, that, you know, not to say our organization is perfect, but because of the leadership that my father has established and his tone that he sets of family first, of, you know, martial etiquette, you know, it's not, you know, where we're challenging each other. We're really just supporting each other because we all have the same goals, you know, to enrich lives, to share the culture, you know, and ultimately if we're all going towards the same goals, there's plenty of students for everyone, you know, and everyone it gravitates towards different styles. You know, Wallam's not for everyone and, you know, Kung Fu in general is not for everyone. There's Taekwondo and Jiu Jitsu and Karate. I mean, so there's something for everyone. And I don't think he feels it should be limited to, you know, only trying to hoard everyone for yourself. Mm -hmm. So now, if I remember correctly, you were born and raised in the U.S., correct? Yes, I was born in Boston, actually. So, 
Wow. Um, let's talk about your cultural exchange program. It, you know, you, you're not calling it exactly that, but tell us a little bit about sort of what your day is like, what you're doing for your students. So obviously you're a teacher. So mm-hmm. so what what is that you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the short answer to what do I do is I teach Kung Fu, you know, and then the long answer is uh, so much more involved because in the Walam, which is, you know, the style that my dad brought over from China and what he kind of established here in the USA, wow, almost 50 years ago now, right? So basically encompasses, you know, more than just the physicality. So at our temple in particular, you know, when you, when you come in, you learn all of the basic traditions, you know, the etiquette, the respect, and uh, we light the incense. So we do all of the traditions in terms of uh, martial traditions, nothing there is religious. So when people come in, they do see it's a temple, but it's a martial arts temple. So our goal for our students is to be pretty much submerged in the Chinese culture and tradition. So we tell our students, you will be speaking Chinese, you'll learn to count in Chinese, you'll learn the commands in Chinese. So almost like a college, right? So you can't just say, oh, okay, I only want to learn this subject. Like you, it's pretty much, you have to learn everything. People always come in and say, they want to just learn the sword, or I just want to learn how to do this or that. And I'm like, well, you can't, you have to start with your basics and you have to learn the history. We also uh, encourage them to learn the history of our style so that they know their lineage. So one of my father's questions, whenever he meets someone in the martial arts is who is your teacher? Who is their teacher? And when they don't know, it's a little bit of a disappointment because it's so important to remember your roots and remember where you came from and, and understand your lineage. So we find that as very important. So what we feel we do temple, you know, is bring that Chinese culture to Orlando, basically, when we moved here. And we started Chinese New Year celebrations here in 1980. So we're one of the first to establish that in Central Florida and just kind of share the culture with, uh, you know, people here and so they can all appreciate it. So but on a daily basis, I pretty much teach Kung Fu. On a larger scale, I try to help and assist all of our organizations. We have other schools worldwide. And we try to get together. We have lots of events that happen throughout the year and I try to help coordinate that. On the side, I do other things like we have the cultural center, which is kind of a museum and we try to have some events there that help bring the community together. I also do, I just started podcasting, my creative passion, and I have dabbled, of course, in the film world as well. Wow, there's a lot going on here. Um, How did you choose Orlando? You were born or raised in Boston. I know your dad now lives in California. Well, no, my dad is in Orlando. We're in Orlando. Uh, okay, your whole family's in Orlando. My whole family's in Orlando. So actually, he chose, him and my mom chose Orlando. So I was only like two or three when I moved here. So I really was born in Boston, but I was raised in Orlando. Oh, wow. So I call Orlando home, definitely. Yeah, so the reason they both decided to move here, the two reasons, one is it was just too cold in Boston. (laughs) (laughs) My father is from Guangzhou, the Shenzhen area. You know, it's like pretty much a a warm climate. My mom is Jamaican. So she's Chinese descent, but she's Jamaican. So her and Boston did not agree (laughs) at all. So, So yeah, they basically decided on Orlando. She also had family here. So mm. I'm, I'm curious to learn more about, as some of my listeners are thinking, uh, nearly everybody in the U.S. knows what Kung Fu is. And I think ever since, you know, with the Jet Li, with Bruce Lee and Jackie mm-hmm. Chan, and there's a, a lot of uh, Hong Kong movie influence there. What was it like for you to grow up in a martial arts family? Not just learning martial arts yourself, but Literally, you know, that this whole environment atmosphere is purely martial arts. What was it like for a little girl growing up? (laughs) It's funny because a lot of people do ask me that question. And I guess I don't know anything different. So the only um, projection I have is that when I was younger, you know, I pretty much started classes since I was three years old. So I've been doing this my whole life. And so even after school, I would go straight to the temple and I would be there until it was time to go home after the classes and everything. So I really grew up at the temple. I grew up on site at the Kung Fu school around Kung Fu students. So I very much saw everyone there as my family. Like even though I had cousins and and family members outside of the temple, really everyone there was who I identified with as my real family, you know, and I I noticed that actually carries over into my students because as they train together and do events together, they form a very special bond. Like there's a martial bond that you don't really see in a lot of other things, even sports I've noticed, you know, I mean, I've got students that literally 
you know, have all grown up 20, 30 years later and they've all gone to each other's weddings and they're all like godparents of each other's kids. I mean, it's just a very special bond. So growing up in that environment, um, I think was extra special because not only did I have my, you know, genetic biological family, but I had a Marshall family. And of course, with that came a lot of uh, hardships as well, because, you know, I didn't get to play in the neighborhood. I don't, I don't know if kids still do that now anyway, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't have like that type of childhood where I would play, you know, after school or have friends outside as much. I was mostly at the school, but I still had a very special environment where I had exposure to a variety and a diverse group of people all the time. People from all over the world actually came to train at the temple. So throughout you know, my summers, there would be people from South Africa to Germany to, you know, Canada to like just from all over the world. So I, I was able to be exposed to a lot more, I think, than than your average child. And because of my Kung Fu life, I also got to travel the world, you know, at a young age. And um, my parents just felt it was important to expose me to that. So it was definitely unique, you know, in terms of having that diversity and exposure, but there's definitely the hardships, you know, like I had to go to class every class and there was a lot of uh, hard training. And, and then maybe there was part of me when I was younger that felt I was missing out on some things as a child. But as I grew older, I realized that I was being offered so much more. Mm. So for example, I mean, you, you attended local schools and the places, you know, you grew up in, were there a lot of um, Asian people, classmates or no? No, not really. Actually, I was actually in my uh, elementary years, I actually went to a Catholic school and that was maybe 10 minutes from the Kung Fu school. So it was pretty close by, but my parents would drop me up and pick me up. And there were in my immediate class, which it was the same group every year, because in private school, it's pretty much the same group every year. You don't really have too many kid, new kids coming and going. There was probably like three of us or four of us and two of them were Filipino. And then I think my one other friend was Chinese like me, you know, so there really wasn't big Asian community, especially in the early 80s. As time went on now, even I would say, uh, I guess if you look up the census or something, they're there. But the Vietnamese community actually is a lot more prevalent here in Orlando. So but growing up there, you know, it was primarily mostly around like Caucasian and So if you were to be, you know, attracted to other sports, like you said, and other types of play, such as if you're interested in soccer or field hockey, you know, did you ever express an interest in something outside of Kung Fu? And how did your family respond to that? <laughs> uh, as a young child, I actually didn't. I don't think I realized that there would be an option. <laughs> I, I didn't think I had an option. I guess in school you had to play sports. And in all honesty, maybe being honest about it, is I actually don't consider myself very athletic or coordinated when it comes to sports. And everybody always gives me a hard time because, of course, I do kung fu. And I did also do gymnastics within the kung fu school. So my dad had a formal gymnastics teacher as well as a Chinese acrobat teacher at one point of time in the kung fu school. So I did actually formally train in that. So maybe that kind of satisfied enough. Physic I think I had enough physicality going on, but I mean, I was like the worst soccer player on the field <laughs> in school when you had to play. Like volleyball was not my thing. So I think I wasn't good at it anyway. And since I had done Kung Fu for so long, that was kind of what just felt natural. But which is the irony is because most kids I see that do the cross training, their Kung Fu like really helps their sports, you know, but, um, you know, maybe that just wasn't my talent. <laughs> you, you were, um, you were not just a student or a child at the time. I mean, in a way that I see you as an ambassador for the sport or for Kung Fu, for your family and your family names. So there, there were a lot on your shoulders. And I remember similar conversation and sort of exchange with Chris as well, who, you know, grew up in Newton, have to take the train MBTA all the way downtown to basically continue training and often lead classes as a young girl. So definitely some similarities there. Yes, you know, yes. when you grow up in a martial family, it's definitely 
we understand each other. It's like you speak the same language. So yeah, I mean, in the same way, once I was 12, I was already teaching, you know, the younger students. So you just immediately start. And, you know, since we started the Chinese New Year so early, I was also performing very early on. So I was in shows all the time. I liked it when I got to miss school. That was cool. <laughs> that was always good. But yeah, so I was always performing or doing shows. And then, yeah, there's a lot of more responsibility at an earlier age in life. And I mean, by 16, I was pretty much running a lot of the little programs there. Mm-hmm. You sound very confident. And I know that, you know, we're probably similar in age and it's definitely very different compared to, say, a, a young teenager who has to understand and accept her own culture and to be able to relate to that. I, I just remember I came to this country. I wasn't born and raised here. So I came here when I was 17. And I still remember the level of awkwardness you know, going to school at uh, Freiburg up in Maine, where there was literally you can't see another Asian face within 300 miles. And, wow. you know, and there's that, there's that obligation and the intent to share and um, the Chinese culture. But there's also part of that is like, how do we go about this exactly? You know, would people find us weird, strange? We're trying to make friends, you know, the, we're trying to blend in and fit in. What are some of your advice kind of through your own experience? So look back and think that, no, that was the right thing to do, then you you actually were able to distill a lot of joy from that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I I feel I'm fortunate because my father really kind of paved the way for me, right? And it was my choice to walk that path and then also continue to pave a deeper way. Uh, but I definitely can um, empathize with what you're feeling because there are times when you're very young and you don't know any difference and you look around and most people don't look like you. I can only imagine coming from China where everyone looks like you and then you go somewhere and no one looks like you. It's much, I think it's much more disorienting than, you know, the experience I had because at least I still had my family, you know, and my mom has a lot of siblings and I had a lot of cousins. So I still didn't feel maybe as out of place, but there were definitely times when I was young and maybe maybe as a young child, even thinking, oh, you know, I wish I looked like the other kids or I didn't bring like fried rice to school for lunch. Everybody had a sandwich, you know, little things like that, that you don't think about till someone points it out that that's weird, you know? And I just feel like I was really fortunate because I was in the Kung Fu environment. So it made me very confident and it made me uh, able to stand on my own two feet and also stand up for myself when need be. But in terms of advice, you know, I feel like getting involved in something that makes you feel good, whether it's dance or art or Kung Fu or soccer, if, if you're good at it, unlike me, <laughs> if you're good at something, I think, I think doing something that makes somebody feel good and co- will help with their confidence. So for example, I always encourage kids to do martial arts because it makes them more confident. And in that confidence, just standing with the right posture makes you feel different, look different, and people will respond to you differently. So I think it's all kind of interconnected, our body language and our thoughts and everything. So my advice is definitely for parents, you know, with kids, you know, to get the kids involved in something, find what they love and support them and then get those kids to stick with the discipline, you know, and then for kids or teens that feel displaced or unsure, you know, just to look in the mirror, gain some confidence, you know, do some positive self-talk and just, you know, I think if anybody has a community, as long as you have some friends and a community and just opening up and talking is, is always positive. You know, I want to ask that question, I guess I, I expected someone without a martial art background to, to be able to answer that. And the moment you start speaking, I realized that you've thought about that long and hard because now as a teacher, you're able to not only, you know, be able to talk about your experience, but actually translate from your experience to something in a way that's um, more digestible, more, you know, more bite-sized and easier to process. Because a lot of what we talk about in terms of, you know, feeling more confident from inside out. There's no path to doing that. There's no Mm -hmm. step one, two, and three. And oftentimes not a straight line. But I really like what you shared, what I witness on a daily, if not weekly basis uh, at my own martial arts school, Mm -hmm. that emphasis on children, you know, especially those being bullied in school, but just by walking and projecting yourself differently, you become that much more powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think with kids, you know, when parents bring them in, I say, you know, it's less about the kicks and the punches and the forms or, you know, getting to that first weapon, all that's fun. But I think it's more learning to breathe, 
learning to stand up straight, learning to look people in the eye, learning to communicate, learning to speak and use your voice, you know, uh, those things they're not teaching in school, you know, and I think it's a really important part of development that's getting a little lost. Uh, you know, I have my thing with technology, like I love technology, I'm very tech, but I really think kids lose a lot of communication when they're buried in their screens. And, and you know, so just things like that, just those, those verbal and physical cues that will help kids become more confident. You know, they just, they won't even know it. You know, it's, it's very subconscious. It's been, it's on a subliminal level and parents may not know it too. Like you said, there's no, here's step one, two, and three, but that's definitely the starting point to, you know, empowering others to feel good about themselves. Um, you have experienced so many stories and examples, much more so than I have. I started training when I was 18, and I didn't really start teaching until more recent years. What are some other stories that come to mind for you to witness the transformation of your teaching onto somebody, you know, of really any age, gender, ethnicity? Like, what are some of the stories that are going to stick with you to realize how powerful it is that you're teaching? Well, uh, on twofold levels. So on one level, you have kids in there or students or adults, any age really, that they're in there and you just kind of see them going through the motions and you think they're in there maybe for, oh, I just wanted to lose weight and do something more interesting, you know, or, you know, usually we ask them why they're here. And and oftentimes why they're there is different than why they're there in six months or a year. That changes, you know, their goals often change. But for me, it's been very rewarding because, you know, they always say, oh, teaching is one of the most, uh, you know, the least thankful job you can have because it's just like the kids come through and then they leave and they take and, and you know, but the nice part about teaching is when you have students come back, you know, kids or, or adults that you didn't think you made an impact on at all, you know, and they come back and say, hey, because of you, I went through my doctorate program and I was really focused or I went through a really hard time in my life. I was being abused or, you know, so you get a lot of great stories of people who come back and actually share that with you. So anyone out there, if there was a teacher that, you know, Im impacted your life, like drop a line and thank them because it, it really is well received and it does feel good. And it's tough. It's tough as a teacher because sometimes you give so much. And when you get that gratitude, you remember why you do what you do every day, every minute of the day, even when the times are hard. And then on another level, you know, I have a, a child that told me, I asked, you know, why, why do you like doing Kung Fu? And it's this younger kid who's not really the most coordinated. Like it wouldn't be the, the kid out there that's wielding the weapon that you think is going to be like first place tournament winner. And you're, you want to put a lot of energy into because of physical natural ability. Right. But I directed my film on my father and he said, after watching the film on Grandmaster Chan and seeing Grandmaster Chan, he looked at him and was like, wow, he's kind of skinny and smaller like me, but he was able to accomplish so much and he's strong. And so I feel that I could be that person, you know? So I like when someone, even as a young kid can see that they can be so much more than what maybe life has projected onto them. So I don't know who told him he was like a skinny, you know, kid or couldn't do anything, but obviously someone did, or he watches what society paints as the photo or image of strong. And he doesn't think he looks like that, but then he gets another image in his head from doing Kung Fu, being empowered, seeing Grandmaster Chan and being inspired and seeing someone like him, who he thinks is like him, you know? And so I, as a teacher, those are the types of things that I find really rewarding. Mm, completely. I just see myself walking into um, the dojang for the first time when I was 18 in the U.S. versus, you know, I also studied Kung Fu when I was in China. and But the mm -hmm. feeling of doing that here is somehow so much more powerful because, you know, I felt alone, disconnected, scared, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm only 5'4", and there are a lot of sports that weren't really tailored for me or simply I wasn't trained for. And right. that martial arts family offered so much more than just the training itself. Granted, I'm still friends with so many of them, much more so than the friends that I, you know, met in college. Yes, um, yes. As crazy as it sounds. And I often tell people too that there's such a big variety of 
folks that you meet, doctors, lawyers, writers, and, you know, not just kids exactly your own age. And in turn, really those adults at the time, I was 18, they were 28, they gave me so many shortcuts in life when it comes to Mm -hmm. career, um, you know, choices. You know, I wish there were more female instructors like yourself, whereas my experience mostly been male instructors and actually most of them are really big and built and people are, it's hard for me to relate to, but I always wish that there was for young girls, especially, I'm not sure if you noticed that when they look at you, who you are and what you do, the way that you project yourself, there's instilling hope and another level of confidence that they wouldn't really get it, easily get it elsewhere. I were actually fortunate, and I, I wonder if it's chicken and egg, right? So I wonder if because I'm a female instructor, I tend to have you know a good amount of female students and uh, assistant instructors, and even in our system, we have several uh, Wallam Sifus that are female. So we have kind of, a, and my father's always really proud of that too. And I don't know if that's maybe because we have those examples already, and you know we've done some groundwork. But yeah, it's it's a really nice dynamic to have those strong women, and you know most of the little ones that come in, they they still think I'm Mulan. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for reminding me. I didn't want to kind of throw it right in first question. So I discovered oh. <laughs> from Chris Yen that uh, Mulan was modeled after you. Yes. So tell me, how did that happen exactly? That was my <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Oh. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's really cool because that's what Disney does, right? They immortalize you. Like, I'm like, that was like 20 plus years ago. But the little kids that come in, even today, their parents are telling them that, you know, this is Mulan. And so, but uh, yeah, so we actually do a lot of work with Disney World. So the short story is that we were performing for the animation team and they bring in just artists, they bring in food, they bring in everything from China to give them inspiration. I mean, they did go to China, but in the Disney studios at that time, they were bringing in a lot of performers. They brought us in to help teach Tai Chi, to relax them and just to get them in the mood. And so Mark Han, who is the lead animator for Mulan at that time, was still looking for his face. And then so he basically saw me while I was there performing and I was around the same age as she was. My father did martial arts and his, you know, the the character, and he just saw a lot of parallels. And I already really did know Kung Fu. And I think he liked that. And so pretty much from there, I was able to just just model for the character. And I did some video reference. So which is where they film you like an actual sequence. So I did all the fight scenes. My cousin actually was the Captain Shang character and he came in and we did fights together for that. And they videoed that. And then they use that to, um, to reference back for the drawing. And then I also did still stuff where I would just pose and they would practice drawing me. Wow. What was yeah. the, you said that was 20, 20 years ago. I'm losing track of time because yeah, I, th- I think it was 99 it was released. So it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a while. <laughs> wow. Well, the drawing probably started way before that. I happened to, um, um, I interviewed uh, Christina Reed on my podcast very early on, and she was a um, shiny example of uh, just a phenomenal producer who did Kung Fu Panda. And uh, more recently, there's uh, Big Hero 6. So, I know how long it, it took, typically anywhere between five, six years or more. So, yes. you know, the drawing and such, I probably started even before that. What, what was it like and how did, how did it make you feel that you're doing your favorite things and favorite things as in Kung Fu, you know, in your life? And then yet the Disney Studios is kind of creating uh, a figure for you. I mean... How did it feel? You know, when I was younger, I I think I was just caught up in so many things. I don't think I stopped to process it. When it came out and when I first saw the poster, I think that was the moment that I really, because it was so many years before it finally came out. So while it was happening, it was kind of like, oh, this is cool. But we work with Disney so much that we're on, you know, we're on the lot all the time. So it didn't feel like this new crazy thing. I mean, we did the grand opening for the China Pavilion Epcot in like 1982. So we've been working with them. We, we do the lion dance show out there. So we've been performing out there for several years. Like we're kind of connected. So that production part of it was cool, but it wasn't as exciting as when I finally saw the poster. Because when the, when I sat there and I actually saw the poster like revealed for the first time, and then when I was invited to go see the movie, and then we had the cast party and all, that was very, very exciting to see on twofold. Like it was exciting because I'd worked on it, but it was exciting to see just an all Chinese cartoon, you know, where it was centered around 
a folk tale that I had heard as a young child. I'm sure you have as well, like something very popular for us that, you know, to have a female heroine on top of it, you know, and a Chinese female heroine was like even better. So it was a really proud moment. So. Mm, that's incredible story. Uh, a year ago, I went to a local bowling alley and it was sort of a, a surprising event for a bunch of Taekwondo kids. And I remember one of the young child um, who was not with our school came over and he had a um, muscular disease. And I was, I remember in my heart, it would just really fell for him and he couldn't really play. And towards the end, he was having such a good time. He came over and said, he said to me that I looked like Mulan. And it made me so happy. I remember, <laughs> and I had to tell the whole world about it. It was just like on yeah. so many levels. Also, I remember it coming out. That's a little bit before I came to the States. And I remember thinking, wow, for the first time ever in my memories, it was the first time that Disney has ever featured a, you know, Asian, in this case, Chinese female heroine. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, it's an incredible experience uh, and realization for us. Yes, definitely, definitely. So I want to talk about your podcast. It took us a while with all the questions I had before this. So you recently launched your podcast. What was the kind of the the reasoning behind that? Not that you had all this free time, clearly. No, definitely not. Uh, Yeah, it's actually my husband, you know, made me do it because basically if I didn't do the podcast, I'd pick up some crazier project. (laughs) And so this seemed more bite-sized. So um, like I mentioned in the past, like since 2012 to maybe 2015, I kind of had an, an insane, crazy life. Like I um, directed the documentary Puchan Kung Fu Pioneer, which is about my father's life. And then I spent a year doing film festivals. It did really well, really grateful for that. It got really good reception. And then that took like years of my life and probably years off of my life as well, because I basically did everything. And then I decided I was going to um, open the cultural center. Well, my father actually decided you're going to open a cultural center and I need it done. And he has all these amazing artwork and, and antique weapons. So basically curated the whole museum, uh, literally like I'm in there cutting mat board, trying to figure out how to frame things. And we designed it, put everything up. That was the year after. Then I decide for the 30. 30- fifth anniversary of the Wallam Temple, and it's our 45th anniversary in the USA, I was going to put on this live show of Journey to the West, where I did a live action, like a theatrical Broadway style Kung Fu show. And it incorporated all of our schools from all over the world with one rehearsal. So it was this crazy idea and I can't even believe it, but it, it came off. But because of that, I had like all this all these years of, of lack of sleep and my husband's like, all right, you need to take a hiatus, no more. But my thing is, I love creativity. You know, I did a little bit of film work, you know, back in the early, late, late 90s, early 2000s. And I, I really enjoy that part of my creativity. Like I crave doing stuff. So I have a small podcast online and that's YouTube. And that's my Kung Fu pod where I talk about, you know, things related to Wallum, you know, so that's like bite-sized applications or philosophy or anything to do with Kung Fu. But I kind of wanted something that was just for me, separate of Sifu Mimi, something kind of for myself. And so my husband's a big podcast listener and he thought it'd be a good idea for me maybe to start one because he's like, you know, you know, a lot of really interesting people and just like the documentary, you're able to kind of talk to people about what they do and share their stories. And everyone has an interesting story like yourself. And you're right. You know, everybody is a hero. Everybody has a story to tell. It doesn't matter if they're world famous or probably someone that you would meet on the bus. Like everybody has something in their life that's been meaningful to them and therefore worthy of sharing. Originally, I wanted to do like a web series, a film series of like immigrants and their stories because it kind of takes off from my dad's. So I wanted to have a voice separate of my Kung Fu school that didn't, you know, because it's very very neutral there. People can, you know, everyone is welcome. 
with no judgment, but I wanted to have something that I had my own voice and I thought that this would be a good forum for it. So I'm able to talk to anybody from thing from someone in the military to LGBTQ community to uh, films. I just interviewed uh, one of my former Kung Fu brothers and he was the fight coordinator for Wonder Woman. So it's about culture and subcultures and I'm a big comic book geek actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I heard some of those episodes. So comics and just fun stuff. So something that I could have a creative outlet that was less stressful than doing like a web series or another film project because that just takes so much out of me. And I've really been enjoying it. I am still very new at it, baby beginner. And um, I still have a long way to go, but it's been it's been a lot of fun and I've been enjoying it. And and also I have a lot of friends that I don't talk to on a daily basis. And, you know, that just becomes so less of a thing, picking up the phone and actually conversing with your friend or your family member. And I'm I miss that. I miss that type of communication. You know, I'm very, you know, I like to actually have face-to-face conversations. So this has been a way for me to also be reconnected with my friends, you know, so it's been a lot of fun and I'm, I'm learning. So it's been a lot of fun. You got to start somewhere. And clearly it sparks new relationships like the one that we have now. Absolutely. Um, who would know that? And, you know, what are some of the podcast experiences that were what this podcast introduced in your life. I've been doing this for two and a half years and I've talked about this many times uh, on the show and especially with the close families and friends is that it has opened up so many doors and new relationships and new possibilities and places to travel to. So what are some of the things, the surprises that you didn't quite expect, but happen as a result of launching the podcast? Right. Well, the launch itself was a surprise. (laughs) I I was leaving to Brazil for a month because we had a a school grand opening. And also uh, we ended up doing a family trip where we took a cruise back through the Amazon river. And my, you know, like I said, I'm kind of a doer. Like if I decide I'm going to do something, I, I like to research. I'm a big researcher, but I will basically research like crazy and then just do it. You know, whereas I know a lot of people like kind of really take their time. And so I thought about doing the podcast and then within a week, I decided, let me do a bunch of interviews just so I have them. Cause I had read, you know, you should have a few under your belt before you launch. And so I did. And then I'd read, Oh, it could take, it could take a few weeks to get, you know, accepted to iTunes and whatnot. So I thought, well, it'd be really nice if I could get all that submitted. And then when I get back from Brazil, it's all ready to go. Yeah. So I went ahead the day I was leaving for the airport to Brazil. I'm sitting there online trying to figure out how to submit <laughs> it. I think I did it right. I don't know. I had to buy a web domain and then a server to upload to the web and all this stuff. Right. So I did it. And then I get to the airport and iTunes is like, congratulations, you're now live. And I was like, oh no, this is not good. <laughs> I wasn't ready. You know, yeah. so that was a surprise. And then when I was on the cruise to Brazil, I said, you know what? Let me bring my microphone. I had my laptop on my microphone. And I said, I'm going on a cruise through the Amazon. What are the chances I'm going to meet some interesting people while I'm there? Pretty high. So I kind of documented that experience. You know, Oscar, my husband and I, we we did some podcasts just about the culture itself because it's culture chat. And then I met some really interesting people on the ship and we interviewed there. And, and that was really great because like you said, you meet new people. And, you know, one of the, I met this amazing couple um, from London and I'm going to happen to be in London this year. So now I'll probably connect with them while I'm there. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I just, you know, so that experience has been cool. Cause like you said, it's, it's so much more than just, oh, okay, I have an interview and then you're done. You know, you do, you make, you make new connections, you make new friends, you network. I mean, next time I'm in Boston, you know, you and I have to go for some yeah, tea. For sure. <laughs> so, and then I've also learned a lot about people that I already know. So, you know, while interviewing people I know, I've heard stories that, you know, we probably wouldn't have shared had I not been kind of digging into their background. And so it's really been fascinating and just overall just Every, every interview I do, I don't know if it's interesting to everyone else, but it's really interesting to me. So I'm like, oh, I think this is, is definitely share worthy. So Yeah, I learned so much more about my mom. I couldn't believe it because she and I are close. We talk all the time. Um, but I couldn't believe about her story of uh, joining, you know, she worked at the Forbidden City, uh, the Palace Museum in Beijing for almost 40 years. Wow. And I didn't know how she got in because everybody else who got in were privileged and had everything that she didn't have, you know. Um, so she basically just hone in on her skills. And I was really touched to hear that. And I also interviewed, uh, in this case, other women whose moms contacted me, and women and men, whose moms said, 
man, I didn't know that about my daughter or my son. And that was really shocking to me. Wow. I don't consider myself to be a blogger by any means or even a podcaster. I'm, I'm in, I'm learning in everything. Right. So, but, um, also, uh, you know, instigated by my husband, he's like, well, you should just blog because your life is interesting. You know, like even just every day we go to the temple, my father's like suddenly on the roof, you know, <laughs> the bamboo tree or in the tree, cutting the tree. Like, you know, so he's like, you should blog about his stuff, like every day what you see. So I've been trying to blog actually. And, and I end up realizing half of my blogs have been about food because I'm a bit of a foodie. So every country I go to pretty much, I'm not looking at the main sites. I'm just kind of looking at where to eat. So I do this like extensive research on eating. So I'm, I'm very much into food and I also do a lot of cooking. So I've been sharing a little bit of that, uh, with, with people. My husband's also a strength and fitness coach. So he does a lot of wellness and health stuff. And so he usually refers his clients to me when it's like, Hey, do you want a recipe for, you know, paleo cookies or, or something that's kind of healthy. And so we try to eat as healthy as possible. What are you into? What types of food or cooking? My, actually my favorite type of food is Jamaican food because that's my mom's culture. So that's what I actually cook the most is Jamaican Whoa. food. So, yeah, on, on a regular basis, I usually eat a lot of Jamaican food. So for my Jamaican people out there, that's like my curry chicken or my pumpkin soup or my ackee and salt fish. Wow. So, so I like that. But I'll also cook, you know, kind of just anything from Italian to, you know, Vietnamese. I'll make pho. I'll make, um, you know, pretty much anything. It's wow. just whatever I decide I want to eat, I'll learn how to make it and then I try to perfect it. And actually, one of the fun new things I've been doing to incentivize my assistant instructors at the school. They're all, you know, kind of like college to high school kids. And so I don't know if you guys did this in China, but when we were young, we would have these charts like for achievements and they would literally yeah. be gold stars. Stars and stuff. Yep. Yep. So I call it the gold star chart. So I give them gold stars if they do things that are above and beyond, you know, so something where they've taken initiative or something where they're, you know, stepping out of what the bare minimum is. I want them to learn to critically think. I want them to learn to be creative. I want them to learn to take initiative and, and not just be responsible, but going above and beyond. So they get these gold stars. So once a quarter, there's a winner and the winner gets this like crazy, like a Michelin type <laughs> meal, a tasting menu. So I'll do like an amuse-bouche all the way to petite fours at the end. So I just did one actually a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I'll start with an amuse-bouche. I'll even have a sorbet to cleanse the palate in the middle and I make all of it. That is <laughs> even the chocolates, everything. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. I, that's the one area I've been trying to get into, I'm so bad at it because I, I am a desk worker. All my freelance gigs are, you know, related to a computer. My, I tried, I, I realized today that I've n- never been able to stick to a, not just a diet plan, but just any sort of plan when it comes to food. I, my mom lived uh, with me with us for four months and very recently. And to be honest, I had no idea how much I loved Chinese food until you know, she moved in because I was this whole time since, you know, since 17, now in my, you know, early 30s, it's like, I never thought about to be able to make complicated food again, even though Chinese food is somewhat less complicated. So um, you you happen to know a lot about just the way you talk about food and health and inflammations. Uh, You've spent a good amount of time there and time well spent. When you talk about inflammations, I noticed that's an area where it has impacted my life and, you know, especially kind of more stressful points around the chest and joints. And in terms of dietary options, what what do you personally find that are helpful to you? I know everybody's different. And- right. Everyone's really different. And again, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian or a doctor by any means, but it's pretty obvious if you stay away from anything that's in a bag or a box those foods are probably not going to make you feel the best, right? Or anything with processed sugar, obviously anything that says like high fructose starting and anything that looks like a chemical when you read it probably is. So if you get something in the supermarket and it grew from somewhere (laughs) or was alive at one point, you're probably going to be doing okay. You know, so that's just like the real 
basic overview. You know, so for me personally, it's hard because I love bread and rice <laughs> and noodles. And, you know, I mean, so it's not that I don't love those things. It's just, it's good to monitor yourself and see how you feel after you eat something. And nine times out of 10, someone who says, well, I just ate, you know, all these, uh, you know, a bunch of pizza and pasta and then ice cream, like probably at the end of that, you had a tummy ache, right? Like <laughs> it kind of makes sense, right? But it doesn't mean you can't have it sometimes. Absolutely not. You know, so I think moderation is always best, but definitely listen to your body. It's just good to listen to your body. You know, where do you, are you, is your skin reacting? Do you feel like sore or achy or do you get headaches? And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the allergies we have, of course, is airborne, but there's a lot of them are food because the way food is processed now is different too. The way it's grown, the, the soil's not as new, it doesn't have as many minerals to give that nutrient. So you, we lose a lot. So. Yeah. Well, that's, this has been such a pleasant and just such an interesting exchange. I, you know, you gave me so much. No, thank you so much for having me on and for, you know, helping promote my, my podcast as well and and everything we do at the Wallam Temple. So it was great to meet you and I can't wait to have tea with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that as well. Hey, it's Faye. I'm back for a few words at the end of the show. I hope you enjoy what you heard. You can visit us online at phaseworld.com to find out other episodes from this category or topic, or you could explore other awesome people who are artists and designers, digital marketers, performing artists, authors and speakers, entrepreneurs, students, educators, and more. For this reason, we've taken your feedback and created a landing page to most easily navigate by categories and topics. Simply visit podcast.faceworld.com to learn more. Sincerely, I want to thank you for your support. Bye for now.